0: Jakubin and is going to do in the 1500, he has time to look behind him, 20 years of age and he is on top of the world. But coming
1: down for a maiden national crown, Cornwall is the champion. Has his whistle, has he? has he got anything left?
0: Ollie Hoare of Australia comes, Jake Weidman is just spent, it's going to be Chariot and who's going to get it, it's going to be Australia, the gold!
1: Before we get into it, a quick word from the sponsor of this episode. Stability has never felt better than with the Asics Gel Kiano 30 shoe. Updated with a 4D guidance system for support right when you need it, Pure Gel Technology for softer landings every time, and FF Blast plus Eco Cushioning for an even more comfortable ride. In early 2022, we sat down with James Templeton, the manager of Peter Bowl and Joseph Deng, among others, and we dived deep into the world of elite athlete management. Fast forward 16 months and a lot has transpired. Deng is now the Australian 800 m record holder once again and JT now looks after a number of Australia's biggest names other than Bowl and Deng including Cameron Myers and Jai Edwards. We caught up with James and spent time on a vast array of topics from Deng's return to form to the signing of Cameron Myers to how hard it is to qualify for Australian teams these days especially in middle distance events like the 1500 metres to the impact of super shoes and much more. James, it's good to have you back on Runners Tribe. It's been well over a year. I think it was February 2022 that we last chatted. A lot's happened since. Some we'll talk about, some we won't. I've got a whole bunch of stuff I want to get through. But first of all, how are things? Where are you at the moment?
0: Uh, Thanks, Sam. And it's great to be back. Yes, I remember we were in, I was in Perisher uh, on training camp at the time. I'm now... In our European base in Tubingen, um, southern Germany, some forty-five kilometres south of Stuttgart.
1: You, um, I'm just going to just jump into jump into it. Got a whole list of stuff here, but let's just go straight to Cam Myers, the sensational seventeen-year-old that most listeners will know about. Um, who's you know the, who's just catapulted himself to you know number eight on the Australian all-time list with his with, with his three thirty-three the other day. First of all, how did it come to to pass that you you know became his manager? Did did he reach out, or did um you know his his coach reach out? How did that happen?
0: No, look, it has been a, uh, it was an effectively a natural evolution. Uh, Cam trains in Canberra with Jai and Rory, and I think it was golly, it was probably eighteen months ago that I first came across Cam. He was a a youngster; he was still fifteen at the time. And uh, he came down to Perisher. And of course, I I met him and spent time with him. Um, we had one memorable training session that Pete, Pete joined in with the guys. Actually, it was in Canberra. We were on our way to Perisher. Pete flew into Canberra. And before we drove down, we did a session at the track at AIS. And Pete said to me uh, during a... series of 300 meter repeats it was like a 1500 meter session um cam went past him twice and pete said geez that young bloke's pretty strong i said yeah do you know how old he is he said oh you know i guess he's 18 or something and he's i said he's 15 and i said how how strong is that young bloke gone past him twice in a you know i guess the set was six 300s um you know with limited recovery and and Pete was impressed to say the least and, and has been since.
1: Oh, it's it's I mean it's crazy fast, isn't it? So it's exciting. I think everyone's excited about watching see to see how Cam will go. And um, you know, I just can't believe he's you know taking his time this season when he did his 336, I think we were all turning heads, and then he's taking it down to you know three thirty-three. So um, you know, uh, don't know what else of course, to said. It's crazy.
0: Of course, it's impressive. It's it's a it's amazingly impressive um last year last year he, he sort of underachieved he got COVID um and I think his PB was 346 in the end but we all felt like he was effectively a 342 runner if he'd been in that sort of race um he was pretty disappointed to miss out on world juniors um Peyton Craig and I can't I can't remember who was second but uh Cam was third at the Nationals, which is, what, just 16 months ago or something, and uh, missed the missed the team to World Juniors. But he had a great winter and uh, obviously kicked on in the Australian summer, and it's been fantastic to watch.
1: He's um he's signed a, a nil, Nike nil deal. I want to just go through that. Can you just explain what it means when um, athletes sign such deals and, you know... Pro- such as
0: Cam. Yeah, well, it what it wasn't. It certainly wasn't that easy to work out and structure. And and the nil situation has been uh, obviously relatively new over the last few years. And there haven't been many high school guys like Cam, certainly overseas. But we so we worked with Nike over a, a period of a few months. Look, I, I'd first met with Cam and his mum about about a shoe deal um, in January at the ACT Champs, and we talked about it. And as the, the next month or so after the Murray Plant Classic, there was a lot more interest, of course. Uh, and it was felt that we didn't want to be making or didn't want to put Pat Cam in a position of making too many decisions about the future. After all, he had effectively two years of high school to go. And so we we the option to still retain a possibility to go to college was co- was quite attractive to Cam and his mum and and uh, to us. So it evolved that way.
1: Yeah, and so obviously he gets shoes, but I'm 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 assuming there's no there's obviously no cash involved, and it's just a
0: no no no, uh-huh. no there's, there's considerable
1: cash. So
0: there's, there's a. It's 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 a payment for his name, his image, and his likeness, but yeah. what it can't include, it doesn't include any bonuses for performance. So Cam okay. uh. is is paid for being Cam Myers, but he's not rewarded for a time that he runs or he doesn't uh, suffer financial reductions if he under you know if he gets injured or, or whatever. It's just a straight payment for his name image and likeness and um, continues in that fashion for as long as he you know remains eligible for college
1: I understand gotcha cool I think that clears up so um and the coal college thing obviously is probably something that he has not really know like you, you probably guys it's it's years away you probably haven't even really Talked about it much? Is that accurate, or is it something that he will be will be trying to, you know, follow in the footsteps of guys like Ollie Hall?
0: We've we've only talked about it in terms of, listen, let's get through this year, let's get through next year. Um, he doesn't finish high school till December 2024, so realistically, going to college wouldn't happen before August 2025, and to be perfectly <laughs> honest I, I i don't think it's there um in terms of him spending four or five years in america it would be more i would imagine a year or two um the opportunity to live the life of a young guy of an 18 year old I, I i've we've talked all along i'm conscious of not imposing on a 17 or 18-year-old um, the life of a 28-year-old. You know, he, he's a young man and you still want him to give him the opportunity to to live that sort of life.
1: Yeah, definitely. We talked about um, last time about how, you know, when athletes go to college, if they can win an NCAA title, then it, you know, increases their worth post-college. Is that... You know that probably doesn't really come into it, right? It's just as you know get in, have some fun, get some hard racing in his legs. But you know it it can't do guys like Ollie Hall any harm when they walk away with an NCAA title.
0: No, no, sure, but Cam obviously Cam's under a different model to say that, because you know Ollie, Ollie, and Morgan, and a bunch of others, generally who go at the age of eighteen or something, are not world class. Athletes when they go, yeah. um, and so for them it's an opportunity to get an education, have a wonderful experience of competing for the for a college, and to see if they're good enough to be a professional runner at the end of it. So obviously in that regard, winning an NCAA title adds value. With Cam, that's a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I went to Albuquerque this year for the indoors, and I I, uh, I was watching the well, the mile and the 3K, especially the 3K, I thought, gosh, wouldn't that be a wonderful uh, opportunity for Cam to test himself over a 3,000 indoors while at college. It would be, it would be great. So th- th- that's a big part of it. Now, I don't know. I can't tell you for sure whether it's going to happen. There's a lot of uh, water to pass under the bridge in the next, um, in the next two years, um, before that would come to play.
1: How much time do you spend with Cam? Is it, you know, I remember you talking about with Bowl and Dang how you're traveling around Europe with them and, you know, it's pretty intense, right? Is it the same? Are you there with Cam at the moment in Europe? Um, you know, is it? Well, is Cam, it, yeah.
0: Cam Cam came back last week. I was with him in Silesia, So yeah. I, I, I was there for all of his uh, five races in Europe and when I'm not in the ro- on the road, I was there, you know, I, I'm at the track with Dick and the boys and Cam and taking them to the forest to do a session in the forest. So we, we spend a good month and a bit together, you know, in terms of how much time I've spent with Cam, I, I don't know if it's three or four trips we've had to perish together. So it, it's been quite a lot. I know Cam pretty well um, yeah. over the last,
1: what, year and a half. Cool, cool. Hey, I want to talk about Parisha later, but for now, let's move on to to Joe Deng, who obviously, you know, a lot of very happy people who have, you know, been very pleased to see him bounce back and, and go, you know, be the first Aussie sub 144. Uh, how good is that feeling? You, you've, you've talked, you've talked, you've stuck by him and, and said very nice things about Joe Deng for many years. It must be just, um, you know, a nice kind of feeling for you, for the team.
0: It's fantastic, of course. Um, I, I I recall I recall saying last Feb when we talked that not to give up on Joe that uh, I, I was still confident we had some pretty good things ahead, and he, he ended up running one forty four sixty nine last year, and um, then kicked on this year. Uh, we we came over early May I think it was eighth of May. Uh, he'd run well on the run the tan. He'd he'd done. We, he was in good shape. He'd trained well. He'd had a couple of stints in Perisher. Uh, ran well at the end of April. Run the tan. It took him a few races just to get his feet in an eight hundred setting. But um, we went to Strasbourg on sixteenth of June, and it was great seeing him. You know, get his World Championships qualifier. He ran one forty four forty eight. 49, I think, and uh, and then he kicked on, and he's uh, early July, he's also got his Olympic qualifier out of the way, which is fantastic. So it's all systems go for Joe this year, heading to Budapest, and then, uh, and then of course, we'll plan for a big year next year in
1: Paris. And, um, at Monaco last weekend, the, um, obviously AROP, I mean, that first lap was just crazy, uh, probably a little too fast, I think. Uh, and obviously, Joe was at the back, going through the the 400 split. How how did how did he find Monaco? And you know, how how, how what's your view on on you know post race report on that?
0: He loved being back in Monaco. I I, I personally don't, the race didn't quite fit his way. He got a good start and he came round the bend well, and I think he was uh, planning to be well up in third fourth place. Um, into the back straight and through the first two hundred, he just got it. You know, it always happens in an eight hundred with a dozen guys of very equal standing. You need uh, you need to get just through that little coming together after a hundred hundred meters, and he just got balked a bit and got shunted to the back, which wasn't where he intended to be, and uh, I, I think it just affected his rhythm a bit. Look, it, it wasn't a bad run by any stretch. Um, it's not his best race of the season. Uh, I, you'd say he's 143.99 and Leon was. But it, it, it's fine. It'll set him up nicely. Incidentally, he's now um, he's now had to leave Europe. You know, we've got this issue of 90 days under Schengen Visa. You can't just stay indefinitely in Europe. So Joe's got about 10 days left. So he had to get out of Europe. He's training in in the altitude in Morocco right now.
1: Oh, that's cool. Um, where whereabouts yeah. in Morocco is he?
0: Uh he's in Ifran. Oh, cool. There's yeah, there's a there's dozens and dozens of uh, international athletes there. Uh, obviously, Moroccans, Al Bukali's there, yeah, and, and a bunch of them. And 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 Joe was really excited to be heading off. He'll he'll go straight from there to Budapest.
1: What's the um, what's the attitude in there yeah, in Morocco?
0: That's a good question. From from memory, I I, I think it's about sixteen hundred, sixteen fifty. It's not crazy. If it was crazy high, uh, it wouldn't be that appealing. You know, if it's twenty three hundred yeah. or something, there's there's a huge difference. People would be shocked at the difference between sixteen hundred and twenty three hundred. Oh, yeah. Um, on the body, the effect is almost. It's twice, twice as much seemingly, you know. It it uh, it's incredible that the difference, say those extra seven hundred meters makes.
1: What what has come good with Deng this year? Um, you know, over the last few years, it's, it's kind of been around, but been bit on and off. And uh, what what is it about this year that that came together?
0: Well, it came together last year for him. It, it, he ran his one forty four sixty nine, but then <laughs> it had a bit of a quad issue. Um, even before that race, but his Achilles became sore uh, during that, and didn't recover particularly well, and kept being a eagle over the over the coming weeks, and he didn't end up racing again. And then you know after you've missed a certain period, it's it's a case of well I can't really come back now. So it was uh, last year was unfortunate. Joe was actually in Eugene. We still hoped hoped he was fit to compete, but he'd missed a bit of training and we, we made the wise decision to pull out of Eugene. He wasn't in 144 shape by the time we got there. Um, so, you know, last year just didn't come together, but this year has, and that's great. We don't think that's the, um, the limit. You know, the 143.99, I, I don't think the limit of his running in the next year or two.
1: Cool, cool. Hey, um, I don't really want to talk about bowl much. Um, you know, all the stuff has been covered extensively, even on Runner's Tribe. You know, there's articles out the yin yang, and it's just, I think everyone just wants to move on, right? But, but on a on a pure elite performance note, how, you know, how has he been? You know, he's obviously returned to form. He's posted a one forty four low. How is the team feeling about Pete coming into Budapest?
0: Uh, we're 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 thrilled with Pete i mean it's uh yeah i i can obviously say that it was a tough period for him um and uh it was a big relief when you know that provisional suspension got lifted, he was free to compete um he 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 was back into it he had the he had a fun fun little trip he was in s a s australia and that was great that was a bit of a reset for him mentally and um resumed his running training you know march april he, he unfortunately picked up a groin lower stomach groin issue that he missed about three weeks of running so he went to flagstaff for uh, for training sort of a, a mini get fit quick training camp and uh, he responded very well for that pete struggles at flagstaff it's 2300 meters and he jokingly said he didn't finish one one session over there um you know he finds it tough but he knows he gets fit and he uh arrived back in europe um and and very quickly hit the ground running in his races We're, we're all thrilled it was fantastic to get him over here with the young guys and have him back in the team and he's he's responded really well to all the races he's had
1: so, so Pete kind of struggles more at Flagstaff than you know a lot of the other athletes that go out there with him. Is that just his body, or
0: I I think it's just his body. I, I don't know. Eight hundred runners. I mean, eight hundred runners don't usually head to altitude. You know, they they're not distance boys. Yeah. Um. They they're you know they're not. Yeah. So twenty three hundred meters. Pete Pete's been before. I think the last time oh, a long time ago. 2018. And he's got a funny story of being dropped twice by Lyndon on a, Mm -hmm. on a training run. You know, she dropped him. He waited for her. She picked him up again on the way back and she dropped him again. You know, he said it's, it's unbelievably tough for him, but uh, he, he wanted to go back. And so we, we've got a good relationship uh, with, with Stephen Haas, whose group, you know, manager of Abby Caldwell and Jess Hull and, and a bunch of others. So Haas is based in Flagstaff. So Haas and his his group took well care of Pete. Um, It was easy to organise housing and he jumped in with sessions. And uh, he loves it up there, but he finds it tough, but he gets fit.
1: Awesome. Hey, I want to just quickly move on to Jai and Rory, um, Jai Edwards and Rory Hunter. Uh, Obviously, two years ago, Jai... um, you know, punched out that 349 mile in in um she I think it was Oslo, uh, yep. which was obviously a stunning time and uh and you know then you went to you know it's been two years since then. How's die? How's he going? How's how's his body? Um, and what what's the latest with Rory as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh the, the story's it's a it's one of frustration. Um, for both the guys. But uh, I guess you'd say Jai in particular. Last year, he was plagued with an Achilles issue and uh, missed most of the Australian season, only ran a 3K in Sydney, and then his Achilles seized up. And a lot of the next six to nine months was dealing with the Achilles. Uh, He, he, um, similar problem this year, we we actually he actually got very fit. April was majestic. Ran a fantastic lap of the ten at the end of April. Um, came to Europe and had three early races and was looked very promising. He was third in Hengolo. Um, It was a little that was a little frustrating. It was the, pretty much the 1, 1500 of the summer that hasn't been the pace hasn't been on and people pushing. Jai finished third just marginally behind uh, a couple of guys who've subsequently run 330 and uh Jai was pretty much in 333 shape right then at the beginning of June he he, he got a cu- spasm in his calf didn't run a step for basically 3 weeks and we've kind of struggled to get him back maybe the 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 rehab and the train and the training, we've perhaps done a bit too much. He's had a couple of disappointing runs since. I mean, you know, life's tough here in Europe and the season could be over for him before we know it. Yeah. So so, you know, Jai's somewhat frustrated. And that yeah. was probably an understatement. I mean, but- it's clear how it's
1: clear how damn good he can be, right? Like when he's when he's not injured, when he's fit, him He's just it's just amazing.
0: Yes, that's right. And and look, I I I keep a very positive stance on it, and uh, you know, tell Jai, listen, you, you what you need is obviously six months continuity and leading into the Olympic season next year. None of us would write him off, but we need to get that. We need to find a way to get that six months into him, Um and that's the plan right now. We, we're as we sit here at the end of July, we're focused more on on next year. I think it's fair to say.
1: And how's the, um, how's Rory going?
0: Well, Rory, Rory's had a tough time of it. You know, he he was super fit in Australia, ran really a great race, World Cross Trials in January, made the team. Um, had had some hamstring issues, and and just niggles. And we delayed his start in Europe, and it hasn't hasn't really come together for him. I guess you could say he's he's been equally frustrated with how uh, this season's gone for him in Europe.
1: I know you manage a few other athletes too, uh, eight hundred guys. Uh, a few Ben Liddy coached athletes, Jai Parrot and Lucky Raper, and then there's uh, Brad Mathis, who's coached by you know Ronardi as well. Um, how? How are those three going? You know, like I, I, me- I remember many years ago you were kind of I viewed as an agent that really just dealt with, uh, you know, stars like Legat and world record holders and blah blah. Right? Whereas now you you've got these three guys who all have massive ability and are sitting on the cusp of of breakthrough runs, hopefully. And is um obviously you, you're managing. My point is you're managing a lot more Australians than you maybe you once did once upon a time and. And was that, you know, how did all that come to, come to pass?
0: Yeah, well, that's obvious until, until, oh gosh, uh, 2018, the only Australian uh, I looked after was Joe Deng, And and obviously there's Radisha and Legat and the other Kenyans, but you know, the 800s, my, my one true love, Um, you know, I've not just Radisha, but there have been three other, um, three other guys who've run 142 over the years from Jaffet Kimitai in the late nineties through to Patrick and Dewey mana who was from Burundi and Boaz La Lang, another Kenyan. So I, I'm a, I always, I, I'm pretty much an 800 guy. And uh, so J- Jai Perret came on board, first of all, asked me to help him out Um before last year, we 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 met up in Perisher, and I said, you know, I, I love uh, Jai's movement. I, I love how he how he runs, and I said, yes, let's do it. And he ran 145 last year. He's had a run of 145 this year, but it hasn't really clicked for him in Europe. I think it's fair to say. And now we've been chasing our tail a bit. Um, it's been a, a maybe. It's a year of consolidation, and maybe he's set to kick on next year with the one forty-four that we think he can do. Um, but yes, Jai, and and of course his great mate Lockie Raper. Uh, I said to him last year around the time of the Commonwealth Games that uh, I was happy to bring him over in you know the following year, this year um, on a similar situation like Jai, give him a crack, set him up a few races, see how he. Responds to Europe, um, Brad. Brad, I've known for years, obviously as a training partner of of Joe and Pete, and I've always admired uh, Brad's running and his endeavor and his pro- professionalism. You know, Brad's rock solid, and uh, he's run well this year in Europe. As we as we sit now towards the end of July, we're slightly anxiously uh, watching the rankings lists in the next week and a bit various countries have got their national championships this weekend and that'll impact a bit on rankings but Brad sits within the cusp and we're we're certainly hoping he makes it to Budapest um he I think he's number 50 uh today and, and 56 are going so yeah we're, we're anxiously awaiting that Pete Pete and Brad are training in uh, Andorra Brad had a similar issue of not being able to spend the 90 days in Tübingen in Europe. So Andorra, um, which for those geography buffs will know, is between Spain and France. A few hours' drive out of Barcelona. Uh, Brad's there with Pete training for the next couple of
1: weeks. How tough is it getting guys like Jai, Lockie, Brad into into the perfect race, you know, for them to try and... Breakthrough one sub ghost um, sub 145 is it um is it a lot of options for you or is it is it a tough one no no
0: it's really tough and people probably don't quite get the perspective you know that the, the guys when you're ranked I, I guess the guy somewhere between 80 and 150 it means there's a lot of guys ahead of you wanting to get into the prime races and effectively, will get into the prime races. So, you're under a bit of pressure. When you get an opportunity, you have to make the most of it. And also, the better races you get into, you're then faced with a situation where you've got a dozen people in the race at, say, your level at 145 high, and they're all wanting to be in the same position at 200, at 400, at 600. So, you're in a quite a combative situation, and the chances of getting the right race in the right weather and getting the right run, you know, with the pacing on and the right flow of the race, it's it's uh, surprisingly difficult. And so you find a situation where there's a lot of 146-type situations, but trying to get dragged through to the perfect setup is very difficult. It, it, it's interesting. We see in uh, London on the weekend, they had a UK only race and they put a lot of effort into it. They had Swinsky pacing it and it ended up the perfect race. And um, um, Max Bergen won it in 143.85. Uh, ben Patterson just finished just outside 144. And another two or three guys ran one, one ran 144 high. It was the perfect race. Now, if you put uh you know Perrett, Mathis, or Raper in that race, for sure they run a big PB. And but it's just hard to get that perfect race. It
1: really is. I guess it just so show, it shows how important it is for these guys to get over there in Europe, though, right? And you know, if all if all they ever do is hang out in, in Sydney and, you know, run the Sydney season for three months every year, it's gonna be Harder to find that perfect race. Well, it is. And, and, and let's,
0: let's be honest, we had a frustrating time in Australia. You know, we had some good conditions in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane. And, and, and oh, the races were messy. You know, there, there's, you need someone to be committed and go through the, that, that back straight, the 400 to 600, in a really nice, smooth, fast way. And uh, we we were crying out. Well, to be honest, we we effectively missed Pete and Joe didn't run in the Australian season. And probably it's fair to say that Brad, Lockie, Jai missed out on that. Um, And so, therefore, we had a succession of 146 and a bit races, which were all very frustrating.
1: How hard – last question on Jai, Lockie and Brad. How hard is it getting guys – you know, just just below that cusp of making it, um, you know, to the world champs, Olympics, or whatnot, um, sponsorship. You know, I know, I, I know. I think all those guys are on shoe deals, but is it? Is it? Uh, is it a bit tougher? You know, from a from that perspective as well.
0: Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. I mean, Jai landed a Puma deal last year after running in Europe, impressing in Europe. Brad's looked after by New Balance. Um, I think it's fair to say not a massive deal, but he's he's looked after by them. And Lockie, no, doesn't have a shoe deal. And you really need to kick on a bit and uh, do something quite impressive to land a deal. Um, it's not easy to answer your question. Not easy.
1: Okay, so there's also a few other athletes you look after. Sarah Carley, Lauren Bruce, Tess, um of Cole I just wanted to you know bring bring these athletes up and get you know get a bit of an update on what's going on
0: yeah well they they're I manage them all three of them they're not based with me in Tubingen so they're a little bit uh you know different to the middle distance boys who are here with me but uh I've just come back from Madrid yesterday and um I was there with Sarah, who came fifth in the 400 hurdles and Lauren Bruce, New Zealand hammer thrower came third in third in the competition there. So it it was a fun meet. I was there with Pete and Brad and uh, Lauren and and Sarah. We had a great, great few days together. They're going well. Um, Tess is on the cusp. She's, she's with Craig Mottram and the on group in Melbourne and she's back in Melbourne right now. She's, she, it's not impossible that she make the team for Budapest, but it's probably unlikely. But Sarah and Lauren will both be there, and that's great. So I, I just do my little bit to help them get a few competitions in Europe and, uh, you know, achieve achieve what they can in the lead up to major
1: championships. Is Tess the only athlete that you've been working with um, Craig and um, and the on, ON group in Melbourne with? Um, with? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, awesome. Um, so let's move on to Perisher. You, you know, you bring Perisher up a lot. And, you know, how, how vital is that Perisher base and using it as a training camp, um, you know, during winter and stuff in, in the off-season? It's been fantastic. And it's
0: um, it, it's not one I underestimate. I, I think last year I had eight eight trips to Perisher driving down from Sydney with various people, whether that be Jai, Rory, Cam, um, whether that be Joe. Joe Deng had four trips, maybe five. You know, Joe would fly up from uh, Melbourne to Canberra and I'd pick him up on the way, Canberra Airport. It's two hours from there to Perisher. We love it there. It's it's quiet and peaceful. It's a bit of a ghost town in summer. And uh, it's just very conducive. The lodges are great. We we stay in a in a one of a couple of lodges, and um, it's it's just a very comfortable existence. It's very conducive to getting in some great training, and the boys respond very well to it. We love it.
1: And you know, I guess Perisher versus Falls Creek. I presume I'm trying to figure it out here, but I presume it's actually a bit faster to get there from Canberra. Hey,
0: yeah, come on! I'm a Perisher guy. I'm not going to extol the virtues of Falls Creek.
1: Um, <laughs> is higher. Falls. I've been to Falls a bunch of times, and from memory, it's it's a you know a extra couple of hours maybe. But yeah, it's been a while. But
0: yeah, look, um, Parrish is two hours from Canberra, and it sits at about seventeen hundred and fifty meters, and uh, which is a little bit higher than Falls. I'm I'm pretty confident in saying. We go down to Jindabyne where the track is at about nine hundred and fifty meters. So. The boys get their Tuesday track session on uh, on the track at about a thousand meters. It's great. We love it.
1: Cool. Contrasting that to the kind of base that you've built in in the south of Germany, um, obviously it's a bit different because they're there to race and train, obviously. But it's a different, um, you know, part of the season. How important is that base and having that base?
0: Equally important. Well, it, it, it's different, obviously. Perisher, you lay the foundations for it. And Tübingen uh, is a great little town, university town of 80,000 people. And we, we put the boys in a couple of apartments and uh, they love it here. Um, it's, it's a really comfortable existence, great vibe. Um, outside of training, it's just a wonderful, relaxed place to live. And so it, it fits in beautifully.
1: I wanted to jump into 1500 metre running for a little bit with you and just how stacked it is right now and how crazy, you know, that the times that the records have been rewritten. Since 2019 really, but obviously it's accelerated during COVID. And um, first of all, let's talk about qualifying for 1500, you know, men and women, you know, when you're an Australian 1500 metre runner, how tough is it right now when you're using all that?
0: Well, firstly, let's say, um, 2023 has gone berserk for 1500, especially the men's. Um, it, it's unbelievable, but we love it. And, and we, we can touch on in, in, in a few minutes, if you like, aspects of shoes and, and whatever about that. But look, it, it's wonderful from an Australian perspective. And as I speak, we've just had um, uh, just had another another qualifier. God, what's his Adam name? Spencer, oh, Adam Spencer. Adam yeah. Spencer. yeah. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. I saw him run in Dublin the week before and uh, he looked pretty handy. He obviously looked in good shape. And he's, through a set of circumstances, good fortune, he's got the opportunity when Ollie Hoare pulled out the day before. So Adam Spencer being an Aussie, I guess being an Aussie in London, easily replacing, jumped in and didn't he make the most of it. I mean, that's just adding to the adding to the depth, but it's wonderful from an Australian perspective. I think we'll have five Olympic qualifiers. I'm pretty confident Jai will get one um, before before the qualifying period next year. And what an what incredible Australian nationals um, slash Olympic trials we're gonna have early April in Adelaide. Um, that's, that's wonderful. Australian 1500 meter running is absolutely world-class. Uh, it's similar, in a way, to the explosion in the British standards. Uh, Britain all of a sudden has a host of 330 guys. And uh, it, it's just fantastic for the world of middle distance running. Um, and it's it's great for Australia. The women's too. Obviously, we've got uh, the four girls who've qualified. They're seemingly, there's a couple of others knocking on the door. It's a very similar situation in the women's.
1: I think um, obviously we're going to talk about shoes for a little bit, but it's got to. You know, before I get on there, I'm not trying to imply that that these guys it's, it's awkward of shoes because the depth. If you compare the depth of, at the top end in Australian 1500 running men and women, it's crazy good compared to the old days. You know, even compared to when Gregson was, you know, dumping his 331s and and it was Australian. Yeah. He It was Gregson, and then kind of a bit of daylight, right? And and these days are different. There's there's a bunch of guys and they're all cracking down sub 332s consistently. And um, but having said all that as a preamble, let's jump into the shoes for a little bit. How what are your views on it all? Obviously, they're they're amazing, <laughs> but um what well, do you think about I, that? I mean, I love I,
0: I kind of love the shoes and I, I I think the benefit of the shoes is not so much the um, times in the spikes, but it's the opportunity that super shoes for want of a better word the carbon plates and the various the foam well incidentally the the shoe people tell you 90 percent of the benefit Time, of yeah. these new shoes is in the is in the foam not the carbon yeah
1: it's, mean, in we, the pair. it's in the pet yeah it's, in, it's all about yeah. the right and it's just a, the foam's everything because you get the shit yeah. there's some shit old shoes that use just eva and have carbon fiber plates in them and they're not fast right you know it's oh. it's the shoes with yeah. the padbacks and the plates are fast
0: Correct the probax and, and and the various different types. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I it's wonderful, but the the big the big advantage is in training and the recovery, and yeah. the guys. You know, people will talk about. Geez, I don't know. Ten years ago, as late as ten years ago, um, I lis- I listened to a very good podcast. Ben True, the American distance runner, talk spoke first spoke about this about eighteen months, maybe two years ago, and saying saying how he used there's certain sessions he regularly did four times a mile or whatever. And he said his legs would be trashed for days afterwards. And he said, now you feel like your legs feel like they could do it again the next day. You know, the, the recovery from, from the sort of sessions that really promote your fitness, the recovery from those sessions is definitely enhanced. And I think, um, Over the last couple of years, the gradual impact of that, you know, 1,500 runners are effectively quasi-distance runners. They're running anywhere from 125, 130 Ks up to 150, 160 Ks a week. They're distance runners, but they're also running with a certain intensity that comes when you're training for an event, you know, 56, 57 seconds a lap. So they're able to do both. They're able to get the miles in their legs. They're able to get the intensity. They're able to combine the both. And over the last two years, the cumulative effect of that sort of training has just seen everyone, I think, able to get out the sort of performances that they were all probably capable of. You know, years ago, there were still people running 330, 331, but it wasn't in bulk. And now we're... We're seemingly getting it, coming from all corners of the globe. People, yeah. French, yeah. Spanish, um, American, Moroccan, British, Australian. It's it's just fantastic.
1: Yeah, every time an Australian, um, you know, runs a men or women, 800, 1500, nearly other events as well. Uh, top ten performance runners child, publishes an article and and lists the top ten. And uh, with Adam Spencer's run, it took him to uh, fourth or time. But he's three thirty one eighty one. And not yep. notably, it knocked um Craig Motram out of the top 10 of all time. And you know, Motram's best was 333 high. Um, I know he didn't really run many 1500s, to be fair, he kind of you know, he could have run a lot more. But you look at it and think, shit, you know, like if Motram was around in these days, I'm sure his PB would be substantially faster.
0: I'm sure it would, yeah. I'm sure it would. Yeah. Um, yeah. and and look. It- geez that the shoes the spikes have been uh obviously it's been somewhat controversial uh in recent years i my big fear two years ago was that the technology would would make it somewhat ridiculous that but it hasn't gone that way you know i was worried that you know and it sounds extreme but who knows how extreme these things were headed? I was worried that you'd have to run under one forty in an eight hundred semi final to make the final. You know, yeah. worried that you'd have to jump two meters fifty in a high jump to make the final. You know, yeah. it's somewhat ridiculous performances that would lose all context with the history of uh, athletics as we know it. But so while the shoes has certainly helped people training and 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 get out the performances. You know, we, we haven't lost context with Hisham Elgarouge, David Rudisha, you know, Kenanissa Bekele. Um, yes, Jacob appears to be knocking on the door of Hisham's uh, 1500 world record, but he ain't blowing through it, you know, and uh, Legat's 326s and 327s are still holding strong. So we haven't lost the shoes aren't making us lose context with our history. Yeah. And that that's been good.
1: I have a bet with a good mate of mine that, um, I'm arguing that the 1500 world record will not be broken by the, the Olympics next year. And my mate's arguing that it will be and that Jakob will, will grab it. Well, what bet would you, would you take my side or my mate's side?
0: I'm on your side. <laughs> I'm on day. your I, I, uh, Look, there's 326.00 zero, zero is no joke. And, uh, you know, people were rightly impressed with Stewie McSwain's pacing job in Celestia Diamond League when uh, Jack Oberon 327.1. But the point, point to make at 246.8, he was, uh, he was 0.8 or so, 0.7 off what... Uh, they'd they'd taken Hisham through in the time. So it was slow. It's not fast enough to get the record even. And uh, Jacob was off the pace, you know, so he's got to be pushing up faster in that first 800, first thousand. And I don't, I don't know that he can easily do that. I, uh, my money's with you.
1: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, Let's just quickly, I just want to pick your brain on Faith Kibyagon. I mean, what she has done uh, over the last, for let's just call it month, has just been insane. Uh, have you have you been following that closely? Obviously, it's impossible to miss oh, it with your, with your job. But what are your views on it all?
0: Oh, uh, look, I'm, I've been a, a, a big big fan of Faith's. You know, I, I remember back in um, two sixteen in Rio when uh, Debaba was considered untouchable, but Faith Kipyegon's just a running machine. Uh, I you know her technique and her rhythm and her flow is just perfection. And it didn't surprise me, you know, she's not prepared for the five thousand but like the others are, but she's just a running machine. And it didn't surprise me when she broke the record in uh God, what are we? I'm I'm forgetting. Is it Paris? Florence this year? Where did she run a world record? Got it. Um that's a good I think I think it was Florence,
1: but
0: I think it was Florence. Yeah. No, no, I don't think it was. I think it was Paris,
1: because I mean, she's run two right, fifteen. Yeah, and then.
0: no, no, the the fifteen hundred was earlier. Gosh, anyway, I won't embarrass myself. I should have that at the top of my t- tip of my tongue, but uh, she's she's wonderful. I I, 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 it's surprising how it's taken the world of athletics a bunch of years before they truly appreciate how good she is, how great she is. Um, you know, double Olympic gold medalist at 1500. And she, obviously she's favorite for next year. Oh, she's, she's wonderful.
1: Hey, we're going to wrap up soon, but I, I put a, um, I asked a few friends if they had any queries for you. I had one mate who was wondering what sort of money, like the athlete, let's say you don't, we don't need to know numbers, right. Cause it's personal bit. Let's say an athlete gets a start in a, in Monaco diamond league. Do they get cash? For just for you know, turning up, then is it, is it substantial or is it no? No,
0: the money. Look, let's be clear, and people people are surprised to hear that the money is considerably less than it was 15, 18, 20 years ago. And just you, you only have to, and, and there's no secret in this because they publish the prize money lists 10,000 for first, 5,000 for second, three and a half for third. I said uh, back in the day, say two thousand and seven, and I I take as an example Augustine Chogi, who of course Australians know because of Craig Mottram et cetera. Yeah. But Augustine, yeah. when when the fifteen hundred was a premium event on the circuit, you'd get sixteen thousand dollars for first, twelve thousand for second, eight thousand for third, you know, six thousand for fourth. You know, the the, the money was double. And that's even before you take into account inflation. So prize money was considerably different. And in terms of appearance fees, people would be shocked at how few people get appearance fees. And if you've got to think of it from a meat promoters perspective, which people must I have. And obviously, Jacob Ingebritson gets a nice appearance fee, and Mondo DePlantis, and Karsten Varholm, and Noah Lyles, and the 100 meter boys and girls. Obviously, but you know, you've got to remember does the needle move if so and so comes or not? You yeah. know, and that's the big defining. You know, they're paying money to attract Karsten Varholm or, uh, you know, who are, or Femke Boll. You know, she's just run a great 51-4. She's getting appearance money and nice money because they're desperately keen to have Femke Boll appear. But yeah. You compare that against uh, some girl running 52 or 53, that doesn't move the needle in the same way. Cool. And also, obviously, Sydney, McLaughlin, you know, you wouldn't be, there's no secret you could name a dozen or two dozen. You could name the dozen top stars of our sport. And obviously, those people I've mentioned come out of that. And then you could mention another dozen who would be next, next highest, um, and, and that's that's a pretty good answer as to how appealing or uh, the sort of money that's going around. And dare I say it, it's not the money that was around even 10 years ago for, say, La or Rhodesia. You know, I, I think it's fair to say Mondo's not on the same money that La Villanie was just because the market's not the
1: same. I remember a few years back um when the UK changed their selection policy to kind of only take in athletes with qualifying marks and it reduced the size of their team significantly teams significantly um, what do you think about all that you know um, should Australia been going down the same kind of model or or not
0: look it's a hot topic in Europe and and obviously we mix with a lot of the British team and I know most of the 800 runners um Look, they haven't really been crying about it. Their attitude, you know, most of the top contenders of the world are, if I can't get the automatic, what the hell am I doing going there? So, you know, the 800 boys, they they knew, listen, we got to get the 144.7. Forget this ginning around and trying to scrape over the line with the ranking. The British boys are thinking, I'm out after the time. And, of course, in that race on the weekend, Two of, two of them have, and now they've got three going, which is fantastic. But, it, you know, the argument is it does list, lift standards. Um, I think someone told me the other day that if Australia sent a team based on, uh, on, you know, the standards that are set, we'd have a team of 28, 29 people. And, geez, it would be a wonderful team. It would be obviously full... In the 1500, it would be full, you know, men's and women's. We've got the women's javelin throwers. We've got the, the women's high jumpers. You know, we've got Curtis and Nina in the pole vault. We've got the 800 people. Jeez, it's a pretty tight, really competitive team. Um, there'd be 28, 29 or 30 Australians. Maybe a couple more still achieve it. I don't know. Um, instead, we're going to be sending a team of 63. And it is a bit different from the past. I, I, I recall, gosh, is it 20 years ago where you had to be considered to be semi-final material, which back then was top 16. They didn't have the, the three semi-format. So in Australia, unless you were considered really valid, your time was considered to be a good chance to make the top 16, you weren't going to be chosen. And so now we've got obviously it's considerably softer. The British have have gone to the approach that Australia had back in the day. Uh, I think France has a similar approach. Sweden does. You you, you could say that there's a, a a fair portion of the Australian team, you know, happy to be there. Um, they're probably not going to be as competitive. Com- Making semi-finals and the like, uh, I I don't know. I, I wouldn't like to say just make it automatic. You've you've got to have a few. You've got to leave yourself open to have a few selections on top of that. But we Australia has somewhat softer qualification than most. And also let let's be honest, Australia has a has a big advantage that we have a gold meet and a silver meet in Australia in our domestic season, plus the nationals. And we're in a situation geographically that Europeans aren't aren't traveling to compete in our gold meet and silver meet. Um, So Australians have a a considerable, uh, well, geez, advantage if you like in, in qualification. And then you don't get me started on the Oceania championships. I, uh, you know, there are a few anomalies in the ranking system. And obviously anyone would say it's ridiculous that the NCAA's is considered on the same level as, say, the Australian University Championships, you know, uh, but they are. Um, and the Oceania Championships at the same time are considered the equal of the European Championships. And that would seem to be a bit of an anomaly. So, I don't know, but Australian, Australia certainly can't com- complain about the ranking system. We, uh, we're probably one of the countries that has the biggest advantage from it.
1: Uh, away from the track, I hear you have, you have a passion for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, what do you think about Ange?
0: I have a big passion for Tottenham Hotspur and I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Ange Postacoglu. He's going to transform my club this year. Um, It's been one, obviously from an Australian perspective, it's fantastic to have a guy in the premier league. I, I, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I think he's going to transform Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, Can't wait for the season to start. I'll be, I'll make it over. I usually get to a couple of games a year and I'll be heading over early September after the world championships. I'll be in London to watch a game and, Hoping our Aussie boy comes out with the goods.
1: Nice. Are you, are you following the um women's World Cup? Of course. Yes.
0: Yeah, yes. Nice. And uh, I'm a bit worried about Sam Kerr's injury. Yeah. I, I don't see it I don't see us being uh anywhere near as competitive without her. Um and, and that's the case for most most football teams, AFL teams, you lose your superstar and it has an impact psychologically and also on, on performance. But, uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, I, I, I was in Madrid on the weekend and my Spanish friend said, uh, watch for Spain. And I hear they were fairly impressive in the last couple of days. Yeah. So I think Spain are the countries to look for.
1: Nice. Mate, it's been awesome having another chat with you. Uh, you know, uh, covered a lot of ground there, went over some awesome stuff, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I hope you got a bit out of it. And thanks a lot.
0: No problem. Perhaps we'll touch base again leading into Paris in about 12 months' time.
1: Oh, I'd love that. It's going to be a big year for athletics.
0: I think it is. I think it's a great year for Australian athletics and world athletics, indeed. Right up. Thanks, Sam.